worship you today. And today I ask that it be more than just words today, that it be your Holy Spirit touch upon your word. And the faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Let faith be established. Let, it, let us be a people that would walk in your truth and strength. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, everybody. I want to turn your attention to Mark chapter 2 this morning in verses 1 to 12. And uh, we'll read that. Please read it on your own device, Bible. But if you haven't, it is on the screen. This is early in Mark's gospel, obviously Mark chapter 2. Did you know that, um, that um, Mark wrote his gospel before Matthew? You mightn't have known that, but did you know that Matthew actually used part of Mark's gospel to write his? Interesting, isn't it? And that wasn't cheating. It was just a reality of what Matthew, Matthew was doing. And, and Mark had written a lot of his, this gospel, and, and, and Matthew used parts of that in his own recollection because of the stories and the actual accounts of Jesus. Uh, and... Um, and other material as well to write his. But here we go. So Mark, it says verse 1, And again he entered Capernaum. Who's, who's he? It's Jesus. Jesus entered Capernaum after some days. And it was heard that he was in the house. <clears throat> Immediately many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the, do- near the door. And he preached the word to them. Then they came to him bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was, so that when they had broken through, they, lay, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Um, the penny had not yet dropped that Jesus actually was God for them. But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, Why do you reason about these things in your heart? Which is easy to say. Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Arise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, take up your bed and go to your house. He went from the house, one house to the next house. Eh? Uh, immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went out in the presence of them all, so that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. This was pretty early in Jesus' ministry. The same crowd that wouldn't let the paralytic in is the same crowd who let him out, because it's easy to, get, um, to let things happen when you see the miracles, isn't it? It's easy to say, Oh, there's a miracle. Well, let's, let's, let's step back and let God be God. But, you know, before the miracle, sometimes... We just want the status quo, we just want to stay. No, 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 no. He's paralyzed, that's fine. We don't want to lose our position in this house near Jesus. And so we see this story unfolds. It mentions that Jesus was in the house in verse 1 of second chapter of Mark. Jesus was in the house. That statement is interesting because it is said like it had been there before. In actual fact, he had been there before. He'd been there some days before, maybe no more than a week before. Jesus had been in this very house in Capernaum, in that district of Capernaum. And if you flip over to Mark chapter 1, you'll see the story unfold. In actual fact, the house was belonged to Peter. Peter was the disciple who became a disciple of Jesus and became one of the closest associates and friends to Jesus. Remember Peter with the big mouth? And Peter, this is Peter's house. In actual fact, if you read in the, several days earlier, um, Peter's mother-in-law had a fever and Jesus was in the house and he healed her and she got up out of a sick bed and served them dinner that night. So that's what happened in this house not too many days earlier. It's an interesting story. In actual fact, after that happened, there was hundreds of people came to that house, demon-possessed, paralyzed, sick, and they were healed. That was just a few days earlier. And then Jesus went for a wander and then he came back. And so that's why Mark says, again, he entered Capernaum and he was heard. He was in the house. So what happens when you, you know, what will happen to a place when people know that if Jesus is there and what he did before, they're going to turn up again, aren't they? And they did in a crowd turned up at the house again. And they so packed the house out, Peter's house, 
talk about, you know, some of us would be very much put out if we had a crowd just turn up at the door and pack our house out. You know, where am I going to feed them? Where am I going to put them? You know, I haven't made the bed. You know, the lawn hasn't been mowed. Who cares? You know, when Jesus turns up, the crowd's going to turn up. And so they packed out the house. And interesting, isn't it? Many had come. Uh, many had come again because they'd been healed the first time just several days earlier. Uh, and now they heard that Jesus was back. It seemed. And you know what? Sometimes they, they, they kind of knew that this was the house of healing. This is the house of healing. But really, it, it wasn't the house. It was who was in the house. Sometimes we live life thinking it's a particular way we pray, or it's a particular situation, or it's a particular building. Maybe not so much this crowd. Maybe not so much us today. Or it's a particular thing that we need to do to get God to heal. I want to tell you, it's not the thing that's the healer. It's who's in the house. It's who's in here. That's the healer. I want to encourage you this morning. Our God is a healing God. Our God is a powerful God. Our God is incredible. But I want you to acknowledge today, my heart's cry today, is that Jesus makes the difference when he's in the house. And it's nothing, this building is useless, really. It just protects us from the weather and the rain, etc., etc. But it's who's in your house. And the question today is who's in your house? Have you made room for Jesus in your house? Because I tell you, he makes the difference. Because, you know, I'm talking to all of us that probably be believers today. But I've discovered something in our culture that we can be kind of know about God, but we do we know him again? Do we need to get to know him and let him walk through our house and let him have his way in our house? What would he find in your house? Would he go into some rooms and say, it's time to clean rooms out, to clean, clean house, or start to do some work in our houses? I don't know. I remember when I was uh, first house I moved into, I lived in Gladstone. It was a house, it was a very humble house, because it was quite a long time ago, and it was really just three rooms, kitchen and bathroom on stilts, really. And my parents made a decision that they needed to make more room in this house, and so they built what we called in those days a rumpus room. Do you still call them those things? And they made a room downstairs, and it was... They made room because they wanted, some, they wanted to facilitate some more fun and entertainment and excitement in this house that we lived in. And it was always a great thing because in that room that they built downstairs, I had my 21st birthday. It was a great day. I remember it now to this day and the opportunity and the fun. It was all because my parents made room in the house. I think God wants to make room in our houses because he wants to facilitate some things that would bring change and wonderful things that would facilitate great things. Is there, there's probably not a person this morning here that doesn't want to see something change or something shift or momentum shift in a different direction. And I want to tell you, we've got to, no, no one else can do that, but I believe our Heavenly Father. And for that to happen, we've got to make room for that to happen. He wants to be in the house, in our house. Um. Many of the crowd that particular day that, that came to Jesus the second time, they'd already been healed. And so maybe they came now to spectate instead of participate. They'd come the first time because they wanted to be healed, and now they come the second time because they just wanted to see more, see what more of God could do. Well, the truth is that probably nearly everyone in that particular village had been healed, but someone had missed out the first time, now was there the second time, and that was this paralyzed men his mates were good friends it's always a good friend that brings you to Jesus isn't it it's always a good friend that's why we need to be good friends to people out there um, so many times I think it's it's not just the uh, necessarily the big crusade meeting that might be the topping on the cream on the cake but it's often because there's a friend has brought you to Jesus and there was four good friends and they brought this paralyzed man to Jesus um, they made room uh, for him, for God to do something in this paralyzed man's life. That's better. There's a windscreen out there with the sun. It'll be gone in a moment, but it's just going straight through there. I can't quite see. So, uh, so I, want to, I want to talk this morning about just making room for God in our lives. And, you know, the reality is I started to think about why do I need to make room for God 
in my life. And you know, one of the very first reasons I've discovered about my life that I need to make room is because life doesn't always go to plan. Life just doesn't always go to plan. I, uh, these four mates who had a paralyzed friend had come to the house with every expectation to bring him through the front door straight to Jesus because they'd heard Jesus could heal and Jesus had healed and he would heal just several days earlier in the same house, in the same room. And so when they got to the front door, the expectation, maybe they couldn't even get to the front door because there was such an overflow of crowd there. And they must have politely said to the crowd, could you please just make way? We've got a paralyzed man. And you know what? No one was willing to budge. No one was willing to move because they didn't want to lose their position in their position closest to Jesus. No one wanted to move. Interesting, isn't it? Uh, Life didn't go to plan for these four friends. How are we going to get our mate to the Jesus? It just didn't. The expectation was there, but the expectation was fairly much crushed. Because no one would let them in. And so they didn't give up on that. They didn't kind of drop their friend and said, oh, well, maybe Jesus will come to you. We're off. No, they said, well, what can we do now? They look for another way. I love that thought. I think faith takes action sometimes, doesn't it? It's a little bit more than what we sometimes we come up to against something hard and, oh, and we back off. Not time to back off. It's time to push through. And so they said to their friend, well, let's, let's try the roof. Let's kind of guesstimate about where Jesus is in, in that room inside and let's go up to the roof and take the tiles off or whatever they did in those days to, to get through the hole. It says, it says they broke through and so they lowered him down and, and there was the, the start of a wonderful miracle. I love the, the reality of the four mates and Jesus looked up and he said he saw their faith. What about the faith of the guy who needed to be healed? No, he saw the faith of the people that brought him. And in that he acted. That's a pretty incredible thought, isn't it? They, you know, the, the thing about this whole event is that life doesn't go always to plan, does it? I, I've got plans and purposes for today, but sometimes flat tires happen, don't they? Sometimes, you know, traffic jams happen, not so much in Gladstone, but <laughs> things unfold that just kind of hijack the day. You know, and, and things happen in life. And, you know, if it was just a matter of a flat tire in life, it, gee, life would be pretty easy, wouldn't it? But sometimes there's, you know, distort dysfunctional issues in our own families. There's, there's sickness and, and there's issues and struggles that we face. And, and there's, um, um, you know, broken relationships and all types of things unfold for us. And it's not easy, you know. And I've discovered something that I have no ability to heal. I have no ability. The friends of this, this paralyzed man had no ability to heal him. But, but all they had was the ability to take him to Jesus. And you know, I have, we have no power to deal with our own sin. We have no power to even heal ourselves. We have no power to face our struggles. We have no power to even deal with others that we want to see changed. How many people want to see someone else change this morning? Mm. <laughs> Just me? So we want, to, we want to see things different, but I've got no power. We have no power. The only thing we have this morning is the power to make a choice. And the choice is this. Will I let God make, will I make room for God to come and put his power in me? Because we are earthen vessels. But it says, you know, as, as, as frail as we are, just clay vessels, it says there's a hidden treasure. And that hidden treasure has got to be our heavenly father inside. And so when we make room for him to come on, come into us and work his work, I tell you, it makes a difference. Now, that, could, that might be not easy as it seems sometimes, because there can be many things that we're trying to cope with. And God can sometimes, the reality is, is it can be kind of last on the list of things to try. And I've been there and done that too. But, you know, God is always there and he wants to be in us. We have no ability, but you just the ability today to make a choice, to ask him, to receive him, to praise him, to thank him, to let him come and work in us and through us, to help us. Just like the four friends made a choice to push through and make room for God to work in their friend's life. Maybe they were ridiculed for what they did. Maybe Peter got upset. How dare you make a hole in the roof? I mean, who's ever... 
someone turns up your place and they can't get in through the front door, they decided to knock out a window, you know? It wouldn't be the most normal and most sensible thing to do, would it? It wouldn't be something we'd do in our culture. You don't do that to someone else's house. But in this situation, they didn't see that. They were desperate. They were willing to go the extra mile to make room for God to move in their friend's life. I wish it wasn't that we had obstacles in life. I just wish, you know, that I just wish there wasn't. But there's many obstacles that we face, many struggles that we have to. And, you know, some are more worse than others. As I said, if every obstacle was just the kind of the size of a flat tire, well, boy, wouldn't we be living? It'd be not a problem. But that's not the case. Obstacles come and they're just a lot more than the just, you know, um, a cracked window in your car or something like that. They're easy to fix. But, you know, I've discovered if I was to, um, to get rid of all obstacles in life and all difficulties, sometimes it reduces all possibilities to zero. If I was to take every problem and just say, God, give me no problems, and not that God gives me problems, but life gives me problems. And unfortunately, I've discovered that in the good times, God's there. But when the problems come, that's when I sometimes run near to Him. I wish it wasn't. I've got to learn to run near to Him in good and bad. Isn't that right? But all possibilities and obstacles certainly make me run into Him. Eliminate problems and, and life loses the opportunity sometimes for God to shine through my life. And I wish that wasn't the case, but that becomes a reality. Um, I, just, I think we have to learn and to make room and because life doesn't always go how we want it to go. It just isn't a bed of roses. Um, there's things that kind of want to knock us off centre. There's things that come from left field and we never saw it coming. And maybe you've faced and facing one of those today and it's a reality and it's no fun in that. But I just want to say you wouldn't be here if you didn't believe in an incredibly powerful God that we serve. And I've discovered that I know it, but I've just got to make room for Him continually to work in and through what I face. I was in Vanuatu several years ago. When I say several, I mean about eight. Several can just cover anything because I can't quite remember the year, to be honest. But I went with a, a little team from our church here and we went to the missionaries in Vanuatu. We went to the island of Vanuatu called Santo. It's a really big island. And our missionaries had a sailing boat and we sailed. Well, we didn't actually sail. We motored. We motored around, uh, right around one side of this um, big island in Vanuatu. Vanuatu is a beautiful place. And um, we were going to minister a little village there. And so we parked the boat about 60 meters offshore because the tide would come in and out. It was just an incredible area and a lovely little village of about maybe six or 700 people were living there. We went ashore and we ministered. I preached a night, a little hut, a little, um, you know, just one little light. And it was just wonderful expectation, wonderful seeing God move in hearts. It was a great time. It was a great, great couple of days we spent there. That night after we'd been ministering, we came back in the little dinghy road back. Oh, I think we had a little outboard, a little outboard, and we came back to the main boat. It was quite a large sailing boat, and we had uh, dinner, and we kind of talked, and then we went to bed probably about 10 o'clock. I had a bunk up right up the front. In actual fact, it was so close up the front that the anchor well was just the other side of the wall. And um, the boat, of course, um, didn't have anywhere to tie up, so the anchor was thrown out earlier in the day, and, um, and so the boat was on an anchor. It wasn't tied up to a pylon. It wasn't tied up to anything particular. And uh, about uh, midnight, I was awoken by an incredible noise. Bang! And I kind of got out of my slumber, and, and, and about four minutes later, I, the noise happened. Bang! I'm wondering, what in the world is happening? I thought, Far out, what is this? It's the middle of the night, and uh, uh, no one else seemed to wake. And the, the reality was it was happening, kind of seemed to be just happening above me on the deck. And so I kind of just waited there for a while thinking, you know, um, maybe, um, maybe a bird's landed on the deck, really big bird. I don't know what I was thinking. I was trying to work it out. And finally, every four or five minutes, bang. So I thought, this is no good. I've got to get out of bed and see what this is. I can't sleep. I hopped out of bed, wandered up onto the deck in the middle of the night. And, and I went up to the front. And what was happening was the anchor rope was, was lifting up off the deck and and, and poof, snapping back down on the deck and making a loud noise right above my bunk. And so I automatically thought, oh, we're dragging the anchor and we're floating out to sea or floating into the island. And I'm looking through the dark at the island trying to work out whether the boat is adrift and the anchor is being dragged. And Because what had happened is there's been quite a strong wind that blowing up. 
And, you know, it had blown up some waves and the, the wind was getting kind of stronger and stronger. And I thought, man, we're dragging. I don't want to be lost at sea, you know. It's all these silly thoughts come. And so I went and got the missionaries, Des. Some of us know Des. And, and, um, and I got Des out of bed. I said, Des, I think we're dragging the anchor. Quickly, come on. He got out of bed, walked up onto the deck. And he watched the little process of the anchor rope lifting up slowly and snapping back on the deck. And he looked at me and he looked at the shoreline. He says, it's not a problem. What's happening, he said, is this boat, because of the strong wind at the moment, it's just being, it's pivoting around on the anchor rope. And as it, the anchor rope in the water goes over a big rock, it lifts up and then it snaps down the other side of the rock. It snaps down on the deck. He says, it's no more than that. I said, but, but aren't we dragging? He says, no. Nah. He went to bed. <laughs> I'm left on the deck. They thought, far out, <laughs> pretty confident in your anchor. <laughs> so as I stood there, I started to realize something. And I pray that the re very revelation of the issue would just drop in your heart. In order to realize the worth of the anchor, we need to feel the stress of the storm sometimes. And, you know, we feel the stress of the issue or the struggle and the problem. And, and you know, as I stood up there, it only got... The wind only got stronger and the waves got bigger and I thought, man, you know, this is not going to... But, you know, if the captain can go to bed, you know, I, and it's his boat, who am I really trusted in here? And so I eventually went to bed, probably didn't sleep so well, but I've discovered in life that Hebrews 6.19 says this, it just says, we have this hope, it's an anchor for our soul. And you know, if there's one thing we need to make room for God in is that because we do have the struggles or we do have the problems and the very fact that that verse is there means that we're going to need an anchor sometimes because life can seem like it's adrift. But we have a hope. And that hope is in Jesus Christ and our Heavenly Father and all that He has for us. And you know, in the midst of the storm, would you just see, would you take the moment, would you take the time to realize that if you've got Jesus as the anchor, as you've got him as your strength, if he's in your life, the boat is not adrift. It's just moving, but it's not adrift. And until we sometimes never know that we never appreciate the hope that the anchor brings until we face the storm. Isn't that true? If there was no need for the anchor, the boat would just sit there in that little beautiful little bay off Santo Island, and we just would sit there. If there was no tidal currents, no wind, no waves, we wouldn't need an anchor. If there was no problems, we wouldn't need the anchor, but we do need the anchor because there is some struggles we face. And I've discovered in those times that that's when we really need to make room for our bigger God. I've discovered the love and faithfulness of God the most in the midst of the storm. Can I just reassure you today that he is there, even though your storm seems too big to cope with or the problem, whatever it may be. I want to, I want to reassure you that like it was even shared this morning, if, if we just lift our hearts and voices and we gave him our best praise and we just lifted our ass of him, you know, would he not give us, would he not undertake on our behalf? It mightn't be in the time frame that you want it to be, but would you just start to, to let him, you know, and we could trust him. Um, Proverbs 3, 5, that incredible verse that we all know and some of us write in our birthday cards. It says, trust in the Lord with all your what? And then it says, lean not unto your own understanding. Man, every one of us have had to learn that. Um, as I stood on the deck that night and Des went to bed <laughs> and I looked around and, and for a while there I thought, we're, no, we are drifting. <clears throat> and I had this thought, I'll even sit here all night and make sure we don't. But, you know, I started to realize the captain's gone to bed, idiot. <laughs> well, I didn't say idiot. I just said silly. So whatever I thought to myself. He's gone to bed. If Des has gone to bed, that means the boat's not going anywhere. Because he's not about to lose his boat. Would you agree? And I had to just wake up to myself and stop leaning on my own understanding, stop leaning on my thought pattern at the moment and start to just trust that the captain is asleep and I need to be as well and I can trust him in that. And you know, I, I just see that sometimes the biggest struggle we have 
is not believing that God's there. We believe that today. We believe God wants to undertake. We believe the promises of God. We believe the truth. We even worshipped Him this morning. We loved Him. But when crunch comes to crunch, what happens is we still find ourselves leaning upon that, which is just our understanding and not God's principles or truth. And it's hard, isn't it? Sometimes just, to, just to, to be able to say, stop, just turn off the brain for a moment. Not that it's not a good brain and we have thoughts for a purpose, but just the thoughts that want to captivate our mind. It says, take captive every thought in obedience unto Christ. The thoughts of what could happen, the thoughts of fear, the thoughts of whatever the situation may bring, the possibility, the destruction, the sickness, or the impossibility, I should say. And, you know, we've got to turn off sometimes the thinking. Some of us lay awake at night. We can't turn off the thoughts. And that's the time when we need to say, Father, I just need to trust you. I need to trust you because you've done the possible. Hey, let God do the impossible. Uh, let him see uh, the situation. Let him turn the situation around for good because he is the anchor of our soul. What is the anchor of your soul this morning? Worry, concern, fear? Oh, that's no anchor. That'll take you out to sea. Jesus will take you solid and firm. He'll keep you in the one spot anchored. See, our heart is the eternal part of our makeup. It's the only part of us that can really understand eternity. And our heart is the place which we need to connect to our Heavenly Father because our mind can stagger, our mind can you know, struggle because we, all the thoughts that just wants to invade it. All the thoughts that want to come into it. And all the voices that want to speak. You know, Jesus one day went to a, 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 this parents, this, these parents had their daughter who was sick. And when he got there, she was dead. And she's lying on the bed. And all these mourners, and, and, in, and in Israel's time, they used to hire professional mourners who'd come in and you'd pay them. And they just would mourn and weep and cry out. And, and all these people were in this room mourning and weeping. And Jesus, the first thing he did, he didn't heal the girl. He didn't reassure the parent. Well, he said to the parents, she's not dead, she's just sleeping. And you know what the mourners did? The very people who were supposed to comfort everybody ridiculed Jesus, it says. They started to ridicule. You know what Jesus says? Oh, everybody take a seat. You're such a nice crowd. No, he didn't. He said, would you just get out? Out of the room. I'm not going to have such negativity and such rubbish going on when we want faith to be displayed here i want to tell you folks you need to kick out the negativity and the rubbish that wants to be voiced in your heart and mind um, because if you're going to make room for god you've got to sometimes clean the room out from all the other voices so very important we, why do we need to make room because we're going to have some problems aren't we you know, the other thing that I've discovered that we need to make room for God is this. Because I find that we need to have a continual faith-building lifestyle. Not just faith for today and faith for next year, but a continual life of faith. Why not walking continually in faith? And Because the Bible says without faith it's impossible to please God. You know, and... Um, these four mates had an element of faith, but it was never really going to be faith until it was tried. And, you know, right there as they stood at the door of this house and everybody said, no, you're not coming in because we're not going to lose our position closest to Jesus. Uh, they had an opportunity then to say, drop the bundle and say, well, it's not going to happen today. Or they had an opportunity to exercise their faith and do the, what may seem the ridiculous or the silly thing. And, uh, and Jesus, and of course, it, and Jesus responded to that. And as I said before, he saw their faith and the man was healed and his sins were forgiven. I want to tell you, it's an opportunity, not just in the problems, but everyday life to build faith. Faith is essential for Christian life. It says that uh, we are saved by faith. And uh, you can't walk around through life and have this. You, can't, you don't know whether people are saved by faith. It's a thing of the heart, isn't it? We haven't got a little sign on our forehead. Jesus doesn't stamp you with a rubber stamp saved when you come to it. It's a belief in your heart. It's a belief. It's a belief in your heart. We walk by faith, the Bible says. We need to pray in faith, the Bible says. We need to take up the shield of faith to defeat the enemy on a daily basis. And, you know, we need to just understand faith is the substance of things hoped for, isn't it? And hope is the anchor of our soul. So faith, it's a word that we splash around a lot, but re realistically, it's, it sometimes means active, activating our faith is doing something that just is different. 
faith. You know, Jesus, when he, you know, there was only one episode where this man came to him blind, and there was many blind people that he healed. But for some reason, he'd done the ridiculous, what would seem the ridiculous. And I'm not suggesting this morning that we should do the ridiculous. I think you just need to listen to what God wants you to do. And he spat on the ground, and he made some mud, and he applied it to the guy's eyes. I'm glad the guy was blind. Because I don't know how well that would go down if he could see. You're going to put that on my eyeballs? <laughs> anyway, uh, so Jesus done some interesting things didn't he but i think it was folks please hear me let's not go out there to do the ridiculous just for the sake of it let's just hear what god wants us to do and activate our faith that's what i'm trying and some of us need to get out of just the norm this is and i think normal christianity needs to be faith activating christianity not living it way below the best for god but living at his levels that he wants us to live see Sometimes, something that needs to be believed sometimes, um, something that we need to believe for will never be seen until we believe for it. Because it says in Hebrews 11.1, 1, it says this, faith is the evidence of things not seen on occasions, isn't it? And uh, I can't see what my future may look like. I sometimes think I can see it or I sometimes, through the avenues of of fear or concern or anxiety think oh this is what my future looks like that's no good stop looking at that we need to look at who the who holds my future and not what we think our future is and he if he holds your future he says i have plans for you that are good and not for evil will we trust him and believe him for that i tell you we need to um and faith faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of god and, you know, notice that this says faith doesn't come by experience. Because sometimes we can be so long as Christians in the faith of the Christian experience that when we come across the problems, we say, I know what to do. I've worked it. I've had this happen before. I know what to do. I can do it this way, this way. And we get a method instead of depending upon the mover of our faith. And methods are wonderful, but they don't necessarily always work. And God says, faith doesn't come by experience. It comes by hearing the word of God. In other words, again, when your problem arises, saying, Father, what does your word say or what do you say to me about this situation? An experience. Maybe nice, experiences are good, but they're not necessarily the answer for this problem again. Humanity has a wonderful way of packaging things. We always like to package things in certain methods or formulas. Because if I always go through this auditorium and ask you, how did you come to Jesus? Nearly every one of us would be different. There's no method or package, is there? So, you know, faith comes by hearing. And so we need to fresh of what God wants to say. And that's why he encourages us to draw near to him every day. Because we need to hear afresh every day. We need to receive afresh every day. I'm, I, I, want to, I, I don't want yesterday. <coughs> manner. Excuse me. just swallowed something <coughs> just talk amongst yourselves you know when the when the couple are they've just been married and they're signing the register and you just can talk amongst yourselves let them sign that's what you do right now Okay, I think I swallowed it and it's gone. It's just the last thought and we'll finish with this. But you know why I need, I need to make room for God? And I need to make room because the status quo needs to be interrupted. You know what the status quo is? It's a Latin word. Here it comes again. I just need more water. <coughs> I just spilled it. We'll just lock it in there. Hey, thanks, Steve. That's good. Status, <clears throat> status quo is a Latin term meaning present, current, existing state of affairs. 
And um, to maintain the status quo is to keep things the way they presently are. And I wonder how many people want to maintain the situations in their life the same as they are at the moment. I, I, I have people that I want to see changed in my family, and I continue to pray that way. Um, and I, I suppose I have to trust God, because sometimes I can't manipulate the situations or circumstances, and I can't put my hand on it and just make it all good. And I wish I could, and I wish God would make it all good sometimes, but this doesn't seem to be the way God works. But He has a time and place for everything, and I wish He would tell me the time and place for everything, but He doesn't always. And you know what? That's okay, because He's God. He is God. So... I have to interrupt my status quo. He wants to interrupt my present circumstance and I want to see things different. And he wants to see things different. I just have to trust him in that. Notice the crowd. Interesting thing is the crowd wouldn't let um, the, the four friends and the paralyzed men into the building. Uh, and really, if they thought about what they were doing, they were preoccupied with hearing Jesus. They were preoccupied with too concerned about their position and losing their closeness physically to Jesus and so they didn't want to interrupt the status quo did they they didn't want to interrupt the situation um, but but if they did if they'd open up the way for the man to come in with a miracle they would have they would have been the catalyst for a wonderful healing to take place if they just realized it but they didn't can you appreciate the hardness of the people's hearts I mean you know how hard would you have to be to not let a paralyzed man see Jesus you know how determined are you how that's not, you know, the opportunity was there, but they couldn't see beyond their own need, their own situation. And so they were willing to keep this man paralyzed for the sake of maintaining their status quo. Keep him paralyzed. Now, they didn't think that or say that at the time, but because they didn't allow it, they didn't make way for him, it wasn't going to happen until four friends said we'd push through and let faith arise and do what was the ridiculous and break through a roof see if you if you keep doing the same things you're doing and expecting a different result you're deluding yourself you're fooling yourself but after Jesus had forgiven the man's sin and healed him they had no trouble letting him out as I said earlier did they because it's easy to sometimes let the miracle unfold and whoa get excited after the event but why not why not be a part of it part of the miracle by letting him in <laughs> they couldn't see it before but now they got excited afterwards and let him out of the room out of the house because he didn't get back on the bed and get pulled up into the roof again no the way he entered was not the way he exited and we need to understand that problems will often point you in new directions and motivate us to change and when the miracles are received, well, there'll be something that's different. And I know that God wants to change the status quo in our life. That is that present situation that sometimes we just class, well, this is me. This is my current present situation. He wants to change it. And I want to encourage you this morning that we have to be willing to make room for him to change it. Room for God to come and bring a change in that we have. You know, um, today we're going to just share today around the table of communion table and we're going to just uh, partake of that together as a church and I wanted to take this opportunity this morning to realize the incredible thing that Jesus Christ has done he didn't sit there in his life and maintain the status quo he made room for God to move and in his darkest moment of his life the darkest moment of his life in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he even asked his father if he would possibly take this cup of suffering from him. And in the end, he allowed God to be God. And he made room for God to move. And the reason that you and I are sitting here this morning is because Jesus Christ made room for his heavenly father to move through his death. And because of his death, we have forgiveness of sins and we have blessing of life. And Jesus was resurrected and he came to give us a future and a hope. And if Jesus Christ didn't face his dark hour and go through it, we wouldn't have the opportunity we have today. When I was in the Philippines recently with Greg, Greg Marbach and I, um, we missed our international flight, as some of you know. And so we had a day spare. So we went to the motel room 
Unfortunately, it was Easter weekend, so there wasn't much happening. So we just were watching the television in the Philippines in this motel room, and a movie came up called The Good Lie. And, um, you know, at first we thought, oh, what's this about? And we started to watch it, and we got enthralled in it, so much so that we pulled a couple chairs up in front of the telly and started and sat there and watched the whole thing. And we cried together, and tears flowed. And it was just an incredible film. And I'd ask you to watch it sometime called The Good Lie. I've since researched it, that whole story, and it's based on a true story. I don't know, by the way, Greg, I was crying. I didn't look at you, but I thought we had tears. Is that right? (laughs) Anyway, and the story is simply this. 1983, what unfolded as a civil war in Sudan, and that spilled over into other countries in Africa as well. But soldiers went through and murdered many, many people and took many children who were orphaned as um, child soldiers. 13, 14, 15-year-olds, young men and women were taken as soldiers and made to work as soldiers. It's a terrible tragedy. This is not too many years ago, really, is it? And what unfolded was is that um, a lot of death and a lot of pain, a lot of heartache, in the midst of that... um, the story talks about a family of four boys and one girl. Actual fact, they weren't necessarily, I think two of them were actual natural family, but they'd grown up and lived together so much that they classed each other as family in their culture. In African culture, they were a family, these four boys and this one girl. And the, they had, a, had an elder boy and he was, the parents, they watched their parents get murdered. They escaped their village and they started the long walk to a, refuge, uh, to a refugee settlement many hundreds of kilometers away. And what happened and unfolded is, is that during the process of walking through the, the, the wide open plains of Sudan to get to the refuge, to, to the refugee village or to the safe place, these four, four boys, one girl, is that one night they were in the long grass just sleeping and they woke up. And the second eldest boy poked his head above the grass, and, and as he poked his head, there was a soldier looking for children, just walking no more than 20 meters away. The soldier saw this boy. He quickly poked his head down. The soldier started to walk towards the place where he'd seen this young boy sleeping. The young boy woke up his older brother. The older brother responded this way. He realized that the oldest boy, who they said, oh, you're the, you're the chief now of our little tribe, He stood up and sacrificed himself and gave himself to the the soldiers so that the soldiers wouldn't come and look for the rest of his brothers and sisters. And so he walked, stood up. They thought he was, the soldiers thought he was the original boy that stood up and he walked away with the soldiers, never to be seen again by his brothers and one sister. And they escaped free. This cut us a long story short. They got to the refugee village or the safe place. They grew up in that place till the mid-20s. They got visas and refugee status, and they were able to come into America. These three boys, remember, and the one girl. They'd never seen their older brother. They lost him as he sacrificed himself that day on the plains of Sudan to go as a child soldier so they could go free. What unfolded was is that in America, the, the boy who had stood up initially in the plane and been seen by the soldier became a doctor in America. He's an intelligent young Sudanian young man. And they finally, they searched and searched through um, an agency to see if they could find if their brother who was back in Sudan was alive. And they found him that he was alive. They got news that he was in the same refugee camp and and, and had got there many years later and uh, had escaped um, the soldiers. And he was there safe and sound. And so to get him out of Sudan and with them in America, the doctor, the brother who was a doctor, the one who had been initially seen by the soldiers on the plane, flew back to Sudan, found his brother, tried to get him refugee status. And after a long day of documentations and talking to officials in Sudan, he finally came back to his elder brother and he said, let's go. You can go back to America and see your brothers and sisters. What he didn't tell him was this. They were lining up to go through, the, to, through customs. And the younger brother who'd come from America, the doctor, gave his older brother all the um, visa passes and the photos and everything else. And his older brother looked at it. He says, but this is your visa and your picture. And the younger brother said to him, I couldn't get refugee status for you. 
but you look like me. So you take my picture, my visa, and you go back to our brothers. I'll stay here. Part of the story I didn't tell you was all four of these young people were Christians. They had a Bible they brought from Sudan, America. They prayed regularly. The film reveals that, that they were Christians and believers in God. And they never told lies. And so the older brother looked at the younger brother and said, that's a lie. I'm not you. How can I do this? God, you know, that's not part of God's plan. And the younger brother looked at the older brother and said, it's a good lie. And so the older brother went back to America, reunited with his other brothers and his sister. And the young man who was a doctor stayed in Sudan and continued to serve his nation as a doctor there. And I just was just so touched by the sacrifice. And the young man, as he, as he, he, he hugged his brother, said, Remember in the grass so many, many years ago when you stood up and you, took, you became the sacrifice so that we may escape? He says, Today... I pay back my debt to you and I stay here and you go to America. And it was so touching to see such a commitment of this family of love one for another. And I I think today that Jesus Christ, he stood up on the grass for me every day of the week. He would do it. He would stand, he'd sacrifice, he'd do it again and again and again because he loves us so much. He's given us so much. And I'd love those who are taking up communion to come forward and distribute it right now. That would be brilliant. And today as we come and share just communion, and we share the realities of Jesus Christ did for us, may we never forget the reality of His love. May we never forget the reality of His truth. It says in the Word of God that His kindness um, leads us to repentance. That wonderful. His kindness leads us to repentance. Some think it's his heavy-handed approach and wanting to beat us up that leads us to repentance. Well, if that's your way to God, please understand, back up a little bit and see today it's his kindness that wants to lead you to himself. And we can be Christians for decades and decades and decades and just be happy with the existence we have. But today, would we allow God more room in our lives? To come and invade our space and to interrupt our lives and to take us forward. His sacrifice was all encompassing. It was for every person. It wasn't one particular race or nation. It was for every tongue, every tribe, every color. I'm so thankful for Jesus Christ. In the midst of his darkest hour, he made room for God to do an incredible, wonderful thing. So I want you to take this morning that um, little piece of biscuit and that little cup of um, juice this morning. It represents something because on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took, he took bread after, after supper, after they'd eaten, and he broke that bread and, and he said, and he distributed it amongst those who were there, the disciples. He said, this is my body which is broken for you. In other words... It's not physically my body, but it represents my body which is broken. And as they received that bread, they didn't probably understand that night what Jesus was talking about, but they did later on to come to understand. And we're the ones that also later on have the privilege of understanding because we have it in the Bible or what this broken bread was all about. It was his body that was broken for us. And then Jesus, after he'd broken the bread, he took a cup and it had um, a wine in it. And he said, this cup is my blood and it's poured out for you. And they probably didn't understand that as well. But they later came to understand what Jesus was meaning as he shed his blood on the cross at Calvary. And so he said, he said something more about that cup. He says, this is the new covenant in my blood. It's a new promise, in other words. It's a promise for a better day. Isn't that just like God? In his, his, his most darkest hour, He is promising the best for us. It is His moment when everything is so destructive about His life, so the future looks so hopeless. He's promising wonderful things for the people that He loves and for humanity. He gives us a promise of hope that we can be forgiven, that we can have life, 
that we can live in forgiveness, that we don't have to have the guilt and the burden of sin upon our hearts and lives, and that we can look, walk in victory. So if you have your cup and your bread, would you stand with me this, this morning? Thank you. This morning, it, it's merely a piece of biscuit and a little bit of grape juice, but it represents something. Once again, it's not the house, but it's what's in the house. It's what's in our hearts today. And today, we just want to thank Him. So let's do that right now as we partake, before we partake. Let's thank Him for the incredible work that He's done for us. And so, Father, we would stand before you today aware that our lives wouldn't be the same if it wasn't for you and your death and your resurrection. We thank you for your incredible love and your um, care for us. We thank you that in Jesus' darkest moment, He was promising us the most brightest future. And we thank you for that. And today we celebrate that through the communion that we partake of. We also remember, uh, Father, the reality of what you did for us through Jesus. But he was resurrected. So that brought us life and we're thankful. Father, we don't want to do it lightly, but we just want to be thankful. So we thank you for your body, which is broken for us. We thank you for your blood that was shed that would give us a hope and a future and the forgiveness of sins. And we thank you, Father, for one another that we can share this together as the body of Christ. So we partake and thank you today. So let's eat and drink in remembrance of what Jesus Christ has not just done for us, but achieved for us. Achieved for us. Let's eat and drink this morning. Thank you, Father. Mm. Yes, Lord. 